Okay, there we go, turned on. Uh, let's uh, go straight to the Bible. This is from Luke chapter 9. I think we're going to put the words up here on the screen. Um, this is Jesus speaking here. <clears throat> Verse 23. It says, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Let's pray. Father, let some word that is heard be yours. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So there's a, a word in that passage that Chris mentioned, the other Chris, not me, uh, disciple, kind of a churchy word. Uh, I want to try to explore that word a little bit today, but just to put that in the bigger context of what we've been talking about as a church, we've been in this huge series called Wholehearted that's been based off of a very famous, powerful passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Many would argue it's the, the core passage for the Jewish faith. And it, it's a prayer called the Shema. It's, hear, O Israel. Israel means the people who struggle with God, the people who wrestle with God. The older I get, the more that term resonates with me. I like to think of myself as someone who struggles with God, who wrestles with God. Not, it's not smooth sailing all the time. Less and less, the farther along I get. But here, you people who wrestle with God, hear this. The, there's one God. The Lord our God is one. Love him with, essentially, it says, everything that you have, your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, have no other gods before him. He's primary. He's the most important. And that's where we got this idea for this series called Wholehearted. And really, it's kind of a meta-series. It's been a series of series. And we've gone through all these little smaller series, exploring the various aspects of what it means to have this wholehearted devotion to God. Uh, and now we've come to the last of these mini-series called Multiply, which I have to say, uh, my, I'm a fifth-grade math teacher. That's my day job. So whenever I hear Multiply, I hear repeated addition. Okay, that joke was for the two of you in there that got that. Uh, so, what, so we're in this, this mini-series called Multiply, and this is kind of inspired out of Jesus' commentary on the Shema. One time, one of the religious experts asked him, what's the most important commandment? Now, if you think about it, that's kind of a big moment. This was this radical new rabbi, master, teacher, uh, from this backwater town who thousands of people were traveling miles to hear this guy speak, and he was doing these big miracles. And one of the religious experts asked him, what's the most important commandment in all the Scripture? Which is something the rabbis argued about incessantly because, you know, if, there, if there's a situation where it seems like two different Scriptures come to bear on one situation, what's primary? Or if Another way to think of it is, if I was only going to learn one thing about the faith, what would the one thing that I need to know about the faith? And they're asking Jesus this question, so it's kind of a big moment. And the crazy thing is, Jesus answers them. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He references that passage. He says that's the most important thing. But then he does something weird. He says, and the second is like it. It's as if Jesus was saying, I don't want you to get this twisted. Because they liked that response. They were like, yes, that is the most important thing. But he said, but the second is like it. It's like, I can't leave it at that or you're going to get the wrong idea. He said, the second is like it. 
Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And that's what's inspired this last series of messages. We can't just let this be about our own personal, wholehearted devotion to God. There's like a flow from God into us, and it has to flow through us into others. We, these, Jesus put these two commandments together. Love God with everything that you have, and like it, the second most important commandment is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, there's a lot of different ways that we could explore what it means to love your neighbor as yourself, but we're going to try to talk about three big concepts, attempt to demystify them to whatever degree that's possible, but at least maybe de-weirdify them a little bit. And today we're going to focus on discipleship, then we'll talk about evangelism and prayer. And these, these are attempts to pass this along to others, to bring others along to what we've enjoyed with Jesus ourselves. My feeling or, or thinking about discipleship kind of shifted about 10 years ago. Some light bulbs went off for me when uh, my wife was pregnant with our first son. And um, we also had some infertility problems that maybe I'll, I'll talk about another time. We suffered through a series of miscarriages before we had our, our, our boys. Um, just gut-wrenching time in our life. But so I was a little bit older when we had our son. And when she was pregnant with him, I started, like, doing the math in my head. I was like, oh, how old am I going to be when he graduates high school and when he starts a family? And I was like, dude, you got to start taking better care of yourself. You, you need to start exercising, like, really intensely exercising. And so I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. I've always really loved martial arts. Back when I was in high school, I did, like, karate, like, Japanese and Okinawan karate. Never really practical martial arts. Never, like, jujitsu or kickboxing or anything that would really work. Just the more, like, legacy, beautiful martial arts is what I was attracted to. And, that, and that we were living in New York City at the time, and I was like, there's probably a disciple of the Shaolin Temple in New York City. And so I Googled it. There were two. So I picked one. And I went there, and this guy was a disciple of the Shaolin Temple. He entered the temple when he was six years old. He was raised by the monks in the Shaolin Temple. And so I started taking Kung Fu with this guy. And again, it's, Kung Fu got kind of blended with Buddhism, so it's sort of pacifist, the modern-day expression of it. So it's only a martial art in the loosest sense, but it's stunningly beautiful art form. And, but they have disciples, and so I found myself thinking about what it meant to be a disciple because that Eastern sensibility of discipleship I think is closer to the model of discipleship that Jesus was coming into the world in. That model of discipleship was the one that Jesus was sort of taking and morphing for the purposes of the gospel. And here's how that discipleship worked. There is a master. Shifu means master or teacher, very much in the same way that rabbi means teacher or master. And the master is a master. Now, Shifu, he hardly ever demonstrated anything. He was a very unassuming man, a very small, unassuming man. Mostly what he did was he walked around with a stick that was about this long, and he would just push your knee in a half an inch. And if it, then you came back out, he'd just push it back in a half an inch. Or he'd tap the outside of your heel to make your heel go in a little bit. Or he'd lift up your shoulder if you weren't standing straight enough. That's mostly what he did. But every once in a while, he would just do a move. Like, there's a move in traditional Shaolin Kung Fu called the tornado kick, which looks kind of what you picture when I say tornado kick. You, you start with both feet on the ground, and you jump up in the air, and if you're like Shifu, you do a 360, and one of your feet whips around straight in a full 360 with a downward arc like this, 
with enough force to send a tennis ball off like a fastball, if you throw a tennis ball at it. And he was teaching some of the older students how to do this tornado kick, and one of them was, like, struggling to stick the landing, and he just said, he just said, no, no, like this, and he just did one. And it was like the air left the room. I couldn't breathe for about two seconds. I couldn't believe what I had just seen. Picture a Jackie Chan movie where, like, Jackie Chan did it. It took him, like, 58 takes, and maybe there was a little CGI, and he just did it cold, like no warm-up. It was breathtaking, and I was like, here is a master. Here is someone who can do things that I cannot do. I cannot learn this from a YouTube video. I could practice it for the rest of my life, and I'll never just figure it out. I actually need this guy to show me how to do it. And there's this extraordinary value in the attention and the correction of this one-on-one relationship between master and disciple. This, I think, is closer to what Jesus was coming into with the rabbi-disciple relationship. It's, it's almost a primal human relationship. It goes back to the gray, misty time prehistory. It's, it's as primal as like husband-wife, parent-child, uh, mother-father, master-disciple. It's a fundamental human relationship of this one-on-one attention. And so the word disciple kind of defies translation into English, which is why we use the Greek word disciple. There isn't like a good English counterpart for it. There's other churchy words like that that we found a sub for, like um, deacon is a word that many expressions of Christianity have moved away with, away from, because servant leader or ministry leader is really close. So it kind of works. Some forms of Christianity still use the word deacon. But disciple has defied that. There just isn't a good English equivalent anyway in our language. Student kind of gets into part of it, but the problem with student is it makes it sound like it's mostly about learning things, like learning head knowledge. And learning things is definitely a part of the process of discipleship, but I mean, you, we all know that with anything skill-based, you can't just be taught how to do it. You actually have to learn by doing it. You, you could pick any skill-based, any art, you know, riding a bike, I can explain it to you. You got to pedal fast enough to, to keep your momentum. I mean, if, if you pedal slower, it'll get loose and you'll wobble and you have to kind of lean when you turn. I can explain it to you all day, but you just have to get on the bike and ride it and fall and skin your knees and get back up. And you can speed the process if you have someone there to give you correction and instruction, but you just have to do it. Or if you went to school for years studying the, the violin, but you literally just studied it, like you just read books and watched videos, but you never actually picked up the bow you know you can't, you're not going to just play. You can't learn it that way. So the student is part of it. What we're doing right now is part of discipleship, but, but that doesn't really get into it. Maybe the best English word is the word apprentice. If you think of that kind of relationship. I met a guy this last week, um, actually, who was a, this really interesting guy. He, he's an apprentice for this international, internationally renowned sculptor who works in, like, he does, like, public works for cities and bronze and aluminum and iron and that sort of thing. And the value of that relationship, he was telling me, you know, in art school, I learned how to sculpt in these various different media, but I didn't learn how to source aluminum. I didn't learn how to interact with city officials. I didn't learn how to bid a job to make sure I didn't lose money on it. And he's learning all these things from this master sculptor that he's working with. And so there's so much more to doing the thing than just learning the facts about it. And I I think that 
I, we get closer to understanding what it meant to be a disciple when, we think about, when I think about that kung fu relationship. Interestingly, kung fu doesn't mean martial art. It's not the name of a martial art. It's not like karate. Kung fu is a term that means effort. It means hard work. And so when a kung fu master says that somebody has good kung fu, they're saying they have the kind of abilities that you can only get through years of hard work, through years of discipline. That's what You could have good kung fu in calligraphy, or you can have good kung fu in hand-to-hand martial arts or whatever. And disciple is kind of like that. It means the disciplined one. That's the root of the word, the disciple. It means what Jesus says. If you want to be my disciple, then you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, be willing to go through hardship, be willing to sacrifice, be willing to put forth effort, and follow me. Go where I go and imitate me. Dallas Willard said that uh, grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. And I think sometimes we, we think that grace is opposed to effort, but no, no, you can't read the Bible and think, I'm not supposed to put effort into this. We're clearly supposed to work hard at this. We're supposed to, if you'll forgive me for this, develop good kung fu <laughs> in following Jesus. We're supposed to have good discipline, disciples. This is what it means to be a disciple. Take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. So with that said, there's this huge value in the one-on-one relationship. Theoretically, you can, you know, develop on your own. I, I, yeah, you can. You can certainly learn on your own. But to have someone that's available, that's watching you, it accelerates the process so much more. I'm t- I teach math, and I can do more with a student looking over her shoulder for three minutes and watching her do math. I can accomplish more in three minutes that way, one-on-one, than like a whole month of her coming to my classes. Because I can, I can laser in on the exact thing that she's doing or the exact problem that she's doing. I think it's really important. I think in an ideal world, we would all have that. We would all have somebody that is pouring into us, and we would all be taking some spiritual responsibility for somebody, at least one other person. When I was preparing this message, I asked myself, who is that in my life? Because I haven't really thought about this in a while. And um, the person that's pouring into me is a guy named Andy. He's a good friend of mine that I've known for a long time. He's actually the guy that baptized me about 25 years ago. And we're friends, but the relationship is a little asymmetrical. He's a little further along um, in me and the faith, and he's constantly looking in on me and checking up on me and texting me to say that he's praying for me and all that sort of thing. And um, we just got together and went climbing this week, and I've got that, like, delayed soreness in my forearms right now from rock climbing with him. Um, there's a couple of guys that I baptize that I have sort of taken spiritual responsibility for. I, mean, I pray for them and I check up on them. One of them is a guy that writes fiction, which I'm into, um, so we connect about that. And another guy is a guy that's he's a father of young kids, and so we talk about fatherhood kind of regularly, text them and semi-regularly talk on the phone. And there's, there's something about being in that spot where there's someone pouring into you and then you're pouring into other people that you get into the flow of what God is doing in the world. There are, though, some limitations to one-on-one discipleship, and I definitely think there have been some um, churches and some ministry structures that have overly structured discipleship plans and created opportunities for grossness, maybe spiritual abuse or just putting too many of your eggs in one basket, that sort of thing. I, I don't know that that's 
really God's design. And there's some warnings about it in Scripture. Like in the letter Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians in the first chapter, he says, you know, there's these divisions among you. Some of you say, I follow Apollos, and some of you say, I follow Cephas, and some of you say, I follow Jesus. And it shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be like that. But there is this real value that's held up in Scripture of imitation and of following someone. Because in that same letter in 1 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And therein lies the plot twist. This is how Jesus changed the discipleship model. This is how the discipleship Jesus is talking about is fundamentally different. And that is that I'm not making disciples of me. And you're not making disciples of you. I'm not the master, and I never will be, and I don't have to be. God is graciously letting me play my small idiosyncratic part in Jesus' making disciples of himself. And he's graciously inviting you to play your small idiosyncratic part in making disciples of him. But we're not making disciples of Apollos or Cephas or myself. We're making disciples of Jesus. Fundamental difference that has some really encouraging implications for us. I mean, for one, you don't have to be the master. You're not, and you don't have to be the master. You don't have to be this expert Christ follower to have something to offer to somebody else. Every single one of us can at the very least pray for somebody else. Notice when they haven't been around in a while and call them up and ask if they want to get together for a cup of coffee or just see how they're doing. Every single one of us can take that kind of spiritual responsibility for somebody else. And we're being invited into Jesus's very odd plan for changing the world. He had a very strange plan. He, he made a few disciples. He poured his own life into a select few men and women. And they repeated it down through 2,000 years. And it's because of disciples, discipling disciples. That's the only reason we have ever even heard of Jesus today, because of that work. And this is the same work that Jesus is inviting us to do today. We're being invited into Jesus' great and very strange counterintuitive plan for how he means to change the world. One man, one woman pouring into the next person in each of our own small ways. The very incredible opportunity, this opportunity to pour into somebody else or to be poured into by somebody else. And so I think the question that that asks us today or the questions that that has for us today are two. First off, is there anybody that's discipling you right now? Or maybe another way to ask yourself that question is, is there anybody in your life that you could and should imitate as they follow Jesus? Secondly, is there anybody in your life, and I really mean it, ask yourself right now, is there a name that comes up in your life? Is there anybody in your life that you are discipling? Or maybe another way to think about that is, is there anybody in your life that you're taking some spiritual responsibility for? that you'll be the one that notices if they haven't come around to church for a while, that you'll be the one that notices if they're seeming a little off, that you'll be the one that takes it upon yourself to pray for them, whether or not they're praying for themselves. You would take some spiritual responsibility for them. If you ask yourself those questions and a name comes up, great. I think what I'd ask you to do today is, can you make that sort of official in your mind? 
that, that person that's pouring into you, could you kind of officially say to yourself, I'm going to try to spend a little more time with them and learn what I can from them. If a name came up in your mind of someone that you could take spiritual responsibility for, could you kind of make that official in your mind? I'm going to, Lord, with your guidance, try to take some spiritual responsibility for that person. Now, please don't be weird. Uh, please don't go up to someone and say, I will disciple you now. Don't do something like that. All of this has to be kind of in God's timing and uh, it, it organically develop in your life. But if a, a name didn't come up or you're not really sure in response to either of those questions, I want to talk about how. So how, how to develop this in your life. So first and foremost, as with everything, please start praying about it. And maybe that's your one takeaway from today. Maybe you just say, I'm going to talk to God about this. I'm going to start praying about this. Is there anybody that you want me to be learning from, Lord? Is there anybody that you want me to be developing and praying for and taking some responsibility for? And would you today commit to pray about it until you can sort of answer those questions uh, in your mind? Second, uh, position yourself in life so that you are uh, able to develop these relationships organically. So, Get in a house group. If you're not involved in a house group, get in a house group. Um, similarly, like that, maybe the next thing for you is to get involved in serving somehow. You know, when you, when you do something together with other people, you just meet people, and then you're in a spot where God can connect people to you. Um, be patient. Allow things to develop in God's timing. It, it may, that may not be the very next thing that God has for you. There may be one or two other things that God needs to straighten out first before that happens. So be prayerful, position yourself to develop these relationships, and then be patient and allow God to develop this in your life. Um, I think church leadership here is also very willing to try to help connect people with each other, and I know there's been some uh, dreaming and hoping about the future that maybe there'd be some intentional attempts to catalyze these kinds of relationships. Um, and so, you know, you can be praying about that. Um, but in the meantime, I'm sure church leaders will be willing to talk to you and help connect you with, with somebody. Um, but I hope that you will. I hope that you will, because some really incredible things happen when you get into that flow. You will start to witness, well, I'll just speak for myself. I have begun to witness these sort of everyday faith miracles because of my relationship with this guy who's discipling me. Um, it sort of feels like this. So one time I was in the Kung Fu studio and I was in the little, their little office talking to Shifu's wife and he was out in the studio alone and he took up one of the broadswords from the weapons rack and he just started practicing. It was ancient form, thousand-year-old form. And it's like one of the treasures of my life that I got to see this in real life. I cannot describe to you what it was like. He didn't realize anyone was watching. I just kind of like backed up into the doorway and watched out of the corner of my eye. The way you might watch a grizzly bear if you saw one in the wild, like extremely amazing opportunity, but you, you didn't want to disturb it or you were going to lose the chance. It would stop. And also, it's extremely dangerous. It was just breathtaking. It was breathtaking. It was just like flashing silver and just poetry in motion. Almost miraculous. Now, my buddy Andy, there's nothing like that, you know. But this has happened at least 30 times over the last 25 years. I've had a day when I just got done having a good cry alone because I was super frustrated or I was knotted up with anxiety or I was very angry at God because of what he had done or hadn't done or whatever I thought. 
And that is the moment when the text comes from Andy, I'm praying for you today, buddy. And that has happened to me 30 times in my life. And it feels like a miracle. It's a private little miracle just for me. I'm probably the only person in the world that understands how miraculous it was because I'm the only one in the world who can understand the timing of it. But I do think that if you can get yourself into that flow, you'll start to experience moments like that and moments like this. Um, this other buddy of mine that I'm kind of trying to look out for, we, we talk on the phone semi-regularly or text semi-regularly about fatherhood. Um, this friend from New York, Andres, he texted me this week, like two days ago, a picture of himself and his son in Philadelphia by the Rocky Balboa statue. And he was like, we had such a great trip together. Thanks for the awesome idea, Chris. And in my mind, I was like, that trip was not my idea. Um, so I just wrote back like, I always have great ideas. <laughs> I don't know what I said. I don't know where he got that idea. We definitely talked about fatherhood a week ago, and I definitely did not suggest that he took his son on a one-on-one -on -one trip somewhere. Maybe he had that idea while we were talking about fatherhood. I don't know how that happened. But in his mind, I gave him that idea to deal with these problems he was having with his son, and it turned out being this amazing trip. And I do think you'll experience those kinds of miracles too as you take spiritual responsibility for people and pray for them. God will use you in spite of yourself in ways that you don't even understand how it was that you were used. Maybe more important than both of those things is the promise that Jesus has in this passage that um, if you deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, Jesus says. Don't follow somebody else, but follow me. You're disciples of me, helping each other disciple, become disciples of me. But if you take up your, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, you'll find yourself. He says, if you try to save your own life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you're going to save it. What would it profit you to gain everything and lose your very self? So what is going on here? What is this? How is it that we're to deny ourselves to avoid losing ourselves? If you think about it for a minute, I think it becomes clear. There's a lot of things in life like this. There's a lot of things in life that you don't really have until you give it away. So I, just in my own life, as I mentioned, I teach math, and I have discovered this firsthand. I've always been good at math. I was good at math in high school. I was decent at math in, in college. And I thought that I had math. I mean, I've done calculus. I thought that I had fifth grade math. I didn't. I didn't. But now I've been teaching fifth graders math for a decade. And let me tell you, teaching fifth graders math, I don't know whose idea this was. It was like, it was like go teach these kids math. Make, make the kids do math. They don't want it. They don't want to do math, but you just go and make them do math. It's a ridiculous situation. But trying to do it, trying to do it, I have it. I have fifth grade math in a way that I did not have fifth grade math when I was taking Calc 4 at the University of Cincinnati 20 years ago. I have it. When you, you've probably experienced this. When you try to teach somebody else, when you try to develop somebody else, your grip on the thing becomes more solid. I'll give you one more example just to make this super clear. The only way you can permanently have money or something you own is to give it away. Because if you save it, if you keep it, and there's a lot of value in saving and keeping. I'm not saying there's no value to that. But if you save it and keep it, it does not matter how secure or how diversified it is vulnerable to moth and rust. Period. 
Countries rise and fall. Currencies rise and fall. And every single one of us will one day leave this earth one way or the other. Anything you keep, vulnerable to loss. But if you give it away, that gesture, and you don't have to believe in God or the Bible to see that this is true. The gesture of giving something away is, is very really eternal. It can never be taken away from you. You give something to somebody else, and that gesture is permanent. It cannot be lost. I think maybe this is like that. I think maybe this is what Jesus is saying when he says, if you give your life away, you'll find your life. Take up your cross. I don't know what take up your cross could possibly mean if it doesn't mean be willing to sacrifice be willing to put forth effort, be willing to do hard things, maybe even be willing to suffer. Take up your cross and follow me. What could follow me possibly mean, spoken by Jesus, if it doesn't mean be willing to sacrifice for others? I mean, it probably means a lot of other things, but it must at least mean that. Take up your cross, be willing to sacrifice, follow me, be willing to sacrifice for others. What would it profit any of us to gain the whole world and lose our very self? You find, as you get into this discipleship flow, that you don't become less and less yourself. You discover more and more your true self. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So this week, let's go forward and plan to give up our own lives for the sake of life to follow Jesus, to gain the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. I'm going to have the band come back up here right now, and I'd like to pray for us that we would do that. Father, it's exciting to me to think about all of the different relationships that are represented in this room. I'm going to think about all the different people that we know, all of the circles of relationships, of the people that are here within the sound of my voice. And I want to lift up that whole intricate web of relationships to you. And I want to ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and move in each of our hearts and minds and prompt us and prod us to make whatever intentional steps we need to make to develop these discipling relationships. Anybody here that doesn't have somebody pouring into them, would you please provide that, Father? Would you provide it in a, in a miraculous way, in a way that's unmistakably you moving in his or her life? Anybody here that, that isn't quite sure who they could be pouring into or how, I pray that you would bring somebody to mind and, and in, a, in a good way, haunt them with this idea until they start taking very small steps, even if it's just saying a prayer for them today. We know that you can do that, Holy Spirit. You've been doing it for 2,000 years. I expect you'll continue doing it here today and onward into the future until the Master returns. We pray in your name, Jesus.